Good morning. It's an exciting day for us, I think. Um, just fun to be here with Heights Church and, and also with Trailhead Church. It's a, it's a great honor of mine. Um, I don't just say that as a communicator here today for you guys. Um, I grew up, like, spiritually in Trailhead. I came in, and I was a complete dysfunctional mess, and by God's grace, um, he showed me grace, and then Steve Mizell showed me grace, and as I say every time, Steve's been many things for me. Uh, he's been a friend, a brother. Uh, he's fathered me. Uh, when we travel together, Lauren still books my plane tickets and then sends me text messages to remind me to, text in, uh, to check in, knowing that Southwest is still going to send me a reminder, you know. And so they, they do a great job of parenting me, so I, I love them uh, deeply. Um, Steve has been a phenomenal man for me. Uh, secondly, let me say, too, <clears throat> thank you. Uh, for all the love and support. As many of you, some of you know me, Charlie's grown so fast, and, and many of you do not know me now, so praise the Lord. Um, but in that, <laughs> in that, the last time I was supposed to be here was the weekend that my mom passed away, and, um, and man, the support I received from Trailhead was completely undeserved, and text messages, and phone calls, and Facebooks, and comments, and just all these things. Our, our family, I think, physically um, felt the love of the Father through Trailhead. And so I just want to say thank you. I'm not here anymore. You didn't have to do that, but it's just an expression of, of the grace that is Trailhead. So thank you for that. But in that, let me too, um, I was going to preach last time I came on, on mission and church planting and, and things like that. And even this week, Steve was like, man, you should preach on mission and church planting. I'm like, dude, that's what I always preach on when I go there. Like, come on, give me something else. And um, I was like, what if I preach on the doctrine of adoption? Just with two families coming together, two church families coming together. What does it mean to be the family of God? What does it mean to be sons in the, in the universal sense of um, sons and daughters before the Lord? And he was like, yeah, I mean, I think that'd be perfect. And so he knows me. He knows what I've been going through the last two months. Our, our family has tasted a bit of hell, if I may. Um, and he knows you all. And he knows what you all are going through. So I have no doubt that, that the Spirit has given him and, and myself um, this sermon for today. But before we dive into adoption, let me at least celebrate with you some of Heights Church. Is that cool? Um, so we're, we're coming up on three years in March. Praise the Lord, which is great. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, yeah, thank you. We're uh, running a little over 100 people. We actually have more than that meeting throughout the week in our missional communities. Uh, we've given $50,000 away at minimum to church planting. Uh, we just brought Jeff on staff, who, uh, staff who just led us. You know, we don't have a lot of resources, so we just take a one-man band with us <laughs> everywhere we go, you know. Um, so we, we pay, pay him one salary for all the mini hats that he wears. Um, but it's been a gift to have Jeff on staff. Obviously, he helped plant Heights Church, moved back with his wife, um, eight months pregnant to, to kick off Heights Church with me three years ago. Um, so we praise the Lord for that. Um, just this last, just even moving into December, um, just the generosity of Trailhead is all within the DNA of Heights Church. We take a year-end offering um, every year, and then we just give it all away. And so we got to give $5,000 to the local food pantry that serves the Metro East, which is huge. We gave um, another 5000 to Fishers of Men, which is a, a global partnership that Heights is a part of. Uh, we actually bought 1,000 mango trees um, in Kenya. And I share this because it's, it's fantastic. The Church of Ephesus did, did a similar thing that I get to preach on. We bought 1,000 mango trees. And in two years, those mango trees will produce over $100,000 in revenue 
for this tribe, for this village, and it will literally move from zero money, completely impoverished, to middle to upper class. It's like 104 million Kenyan shillings a year is what they'll make. And so by the, through the power of the gospel, um, we literally change the socioeconomic status of a village in Kenya. How cool is that? And so um, just amazing things that, that the Lord has allowed us to do. We have three elder candidates that, that are just killer. They're doing an amazing job. Um, we're still at the YMCA, um, and we're super happy there. Um, we've got to really connect with the Y, build really great partnerships with them. It's one of the most diverse places, really, in our area, the YMCA. And so it's been huge um, just to settle in um, and, and get to, um, to just partner with them, uh, to love our city with them and, and things of that sort. And so I share that. Uh, I don't want to pat—we're not patting ourselves, myself or Heights Church on the back, but, but really I share those things um, to say thank you uh, because we are a Trailhead Church plant a sister church, a daughter church, if I may. And, um, and so the DNA of Heights Church, man, is just so interwoven in Trailhead. And, and all we experience from you is just grace and generosity and love and, and truth. And, and so it has been amazing. And so what I want to do um, for the fourth time in our service today, let me just pray um, over you, if I may. And then I'm going to dive into Ephesians 1 and we're going to talk about adoption. Does that sound good? All right. Father, we thank you so much. Um, we think that we can come to you in prayer. Um, we get to come before the Father. That's, that's ludicrous. I mean, that is absolutely absurd that we get to stand before a perfect God. We're invited into a throne room of grace to sit on Dad's lap and make requests. It's crazy to me. Um, it's crazy to me. It's unfathomable. And yet you invite us to do so. Um, and so in that, we need to confess and probably repent that we sometimes rarely seek your face. Um, but even in that, God, you still seek us out. And so I thank you that you've called us to be family, you've called us to be sons, and, and you've invited us into an inheritance that, that we can never comprehend until the day that Jesus comes to sweep us off our feet. God, I look forward to that day. I pray that we all do. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read to you out of the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, uh, verses 3 through <clears throat> 10. Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. I apologize, I don't know the page number in your supplied Bible, but They might have it for you. Page 976. When you got it, say got it. And Heights, I have them interact with me a lot. So if that's weird for you, I'll be gone next week. So (laughs) when you got it, say got it. All right, here we go. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined, I mean, he planned beforehand, he predestined for us, or predestined us for what? Adoption. As sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us all in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood. Amen. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mysteries of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, Things in heaven and things on earth. Let me give away the first point for you today is that we are family. And, and we see that represented here as we have Heights Church and 
Trailhead Church, and maybe, maybe even visitors from other churches, right? We come together today, and we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, as family. And so Paul begins this, um, this idea of adoption by saying, blessed be the Father. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in this, Steve encouraged me this week. We were at Peel, and we were eating, and he said, man, I just want to share a bit about your story because so many people don't know you anymore. And I thought that was fitting to help you understand adoption. So let me share a bit about my story. So many of you don't know, and you've heard a bit. My mother passed away two months ago. Um, She was an addict from the time of 15 until she was 63. Just a couple months ago, she was addicted to cocaine. Uh, My father also was an addict. He passed away whenever I was seven years old. I don't remember him at all. I have no remembrance of him. Um, And in that then, I I was raised in a, if I may say, um, biracial relationship. The man who raised me was an African-American man. We're in a small town. He's dating a white mom in a fairly racist community. And so I lived in that tension as well. But within that, I started following my biological father, my mom's footsteps in fifth grade. Started regularly and habitually partaking in drug abuse in fifth grade, which blows my mind now that I have a 13-year-old that lives in our house. It's just crazy in hindsight. And it wasn't until eight to nine years ago where I just woke up. I just woke up and I believed in Jesus. I felt Jesus. Like, I felt the presence of God. I didn't believe in God. I was agnostic. That means I, I believed there was something. I would pray some selfish prayers, you know, you guys, you know, you know that. And, but I woke up, and I just believed that Jesus was better. I had no good church like Trailhead at the time. I had no one preaching great gospel information, no good theology, right? I didn't have this great theology that saved me. I just woke up one day, and I was like, man, Jesus is better, I didn't have anything to back that up. I just had a feeling, a sensation that there's something greater than me. And then now, as I look at my life, now I understand that God has since given me a great church, like Trailhead Church, like Heights Church. God has since given me great theology to help me understand what actually took place that day. And so as we kind of look at that, I I think about this idea of like my disobedience and my rebellion and the reality that God called out to me and just woke me up in hindsight, like, that blows my mind. That's crazy to me. And if you know the story of God, it's crazy because in Genesis 1 and 2, right, God has given Adam and Eve everything, right? They walk in the garden. They delight with the Father. They're walking hand in hand with the Father, perfectly in the presence of the Father, something that none of us have ever seen. And then in Genesis 3, or on page 3, we know that Adam and Eve rebel against the Father. And in their rebellion... While they had inherited everything as sons, in their rebellion, they now inherit death. And then we know then from the rest of the story that we are either born into the family of Adam and Eve and to remain there, or we are born again into the family of Jesus Christ as sons. And so it's interesting to me, and the reason I say it blows my mind in hindsight, because if we were to just stay in the garden in Genesis 3, our inheritance would be death. It would not be the opportunity to wake up and just believe in Jesus. And so praise the Lord for God promising to send him. And so what's interesting about that then to me is whenever Adam and Eve rebel, when they're in the garden, whenever they have rebelled against the Father, the Father doesn't leave them in the garden, does he? He goes after them. 
He blankets them, right? They're hiding behind fig leaves, like that's going to do any good. And he comes out and he blankets them, but he says, where are you? Why are you hiding from me? Right? It's like as a parent, I use this as an illustration. It's like when someone eats the last cookie in the house, and you have kids. Like, who ate the last cookie, right? You know it's the kids. And my family is probably my wife, not my kids. <laughs> Man, she bakes just to celebrate baking, okay? Like, she's amazing. But right, he comes out like a good dad, like a good father, and he says, hey, why, where are you? Why are you hiding? Let me blank, let me clothe you. And in that, he actually begins, he clothes them in righteousness, he clothes them in a new inheritance because they were not allowed to be before the Father in sin. And he makes a promise to send a rescuer. And, and is this not exactly what we do sometimes, church? Like whenever we hit rebellion, when we're being disobedient, when we're actively walking out sin, do we not try to hide behind fig leaves? Do we not hide in loneliness and isolation? Do we not retreat to shame from our dad? Do we not have ask maybe some of the same questions? Like, well, maybe God isn't good in this moment. Maybe God doesn't care. Maybe God doesn't want what's best for me. Maybe he's just not a good father. And we do the same thing. I do the same thing. And it's easy for us, just as it is and was for Adam and Eve, to look at our current situation and say, well, maybe I'm not in the family. Maybe he doesn't care about me. Maybe there's not an inheritance. Maybe salvation isn't sufficient for this moment. But we see in the story that God goes after them just like he came after me and woke me up. Just like he's coming after many of you and he's since woke you up. But because of Adam and Eve's rebellion, right, the world was supposed to inherit death, spiritual death, physical death. We're not talking about morality here. We're just talking about spiritually dead was the benefit of being born into Adam and Eve's family. And so whenever I think about this in hindsight, and I know that I began to regularly partake in drug abuse in fifth grade and the good Lord just woke me up, and I believe that Jesus was better, it blows my mind. And so whenever I get to Ephesians, right, and it says, blessed be the God and Father. Like, is there any other response than that? Just stop. Is there any other response that we should have when we come to this truth of adoption? Blessed be the God and Father. Paul gets it. And, I'm sorry, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What does that mean? That means he's blessed us with relationship with Jesus, which was undeserved. We're supposed to inherit death. He's blessed us with eternal life, our new inheritance. He's blessed us as Christians with the power of the Holy Spirit to walk out peace and patience and kindness and goodness. And even whenever we fail to walk that out, as we regularly do, he still looks at us through the lens of Jesus. And he says, no, I've wrapped you up in holiness. I've wrapped you up in perfection. Regardless of your good works, actually in spite of your disobedience, so there's no need to hide. There's no need to be shameful. There's no need to retreat to the garden. I'm a good and loving father, and you are family. I've brought you into the fold as sons and daughters. That's what it means to receive every spiritual blessing. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. What? <laughs> Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Like, I read this and I just think, like, shut up. What? That's insane to me. Like, okay, before anything ever existed, there was a dad, there was a father who was perfect and right and holy and just, and he looked out across whatever was there, nothing, right? And in that moment, as he looks out across the span of whatever he's about to create, he sees you. Maybe lying in a bed, maybe walking an aisle, maybe 
driving in your car, and he looks out as a good and perfect father, and he sees his children like his family of misfits, right? And he looks out and he says, they're going to be mine. (laughs) They're going to be mine. Regardless of their action, regardless of their word, I'm going to blanket them in my righteousness. I'm going to clothe them in holiness. They're going to be so dysfunctional. They're never going to leave the toddler stage. Mine, mine, right? They're going to be self-self-centered. And man, I'm, going to, I'm just going to lavish grace upon grace because the perfect son is coming. I'm going to bless them in him. That's what it means to be family. Next, then, if we are family, then we are sons. In love, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, it's just all about him, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. We are sons. I was in a prayer meeting uh, last week. This real old pastor came in. He was ancient, like dust all over him. He's like in his 50s, you know, and... And he said, he said this thing, it was really fantastic. And we didn't know each other, we were just sitting in there. And he said, we are sons. It's all men in there at this point. He says, we are sons, therefore we are brothers. So let's pray to a good father. And, and what he was saying is like, we were all kind of like, man, what do we, I don't know you, I don't really want to give you all my junk. You know, who are you? And what he was saying, they're like, we are sons, therefore we are brothers. Actually he said, let us pray to our dad. And he brought just this level of transparency with him whenever he came in. And I felt that. There's this overwhelming feeling of like, I can say whatever I need to say to my dad because I'm a son. Paul said that it was always God's plan that he would adopt us collectively as sons. And so even as I come in here, right, if we are sons of Trailhead, then it doesn't matter if we're Trailhead or Heights because we are, in fact, brothers and sisters. Amen? One universal church. But in the text, Paul calls them sons. And that would have completely wrecked the congregation at that time, or whoever it was that was reading this letter that might have just been being passed around. To call them sons would have been absolutely absurd. It would have been foul. It would have been politically incorrect, right? Culturally irresponsible. He would have lost the attention of the audience in that moment, right? To call men sons, it's really not that big a deal, right? He's like, what's up, son? Right? It's a little more Collinsville than Edwardsville. I get it. We're, we got a little more swag down south. I got it, right? I understand. What's up, son? I see you, you know? But to call women sons, I mean, to call women sons, that's a whole other level right there, right? And in Paul's culture, you could identify as whatever you wanted to. Just like in our culture, you may identify as whatever you want to as well. But in this, Paul's not going for a dramatic effect, Paul's saying, you, as a Christian, know your identity, church. You are sons. And so in Paul's culture, right, to be a son was was to be of high privilege. To be the firstborn son, those are the ones that would inherit the estate from the father, right? The firstborn son. They went as far as if the son were to die, they would actually adopt a new son. There was an older son that could even help manage the estate. And then the estate would eventually become become theirs. But for the son of the family, the firstborn son of the estate, everything that the father has became his. Everything was given over to him. For the women, though, in that time, there was no inheritance. There was no 401k. There was no social security. 
There was nothing for you. Women in that time largely had no voice. Women were typically looked at to, for procreation and work, which was really one and the same, if we're being honest, right? Women weren't even allowed to come into trial because they would ruin the witness of the men that invited them in because they had no voice. They had no status in much of that culture. And so then for Paul to say in this and to reiterate time and time again, he has called us to be sons is a wildly inappropriate statement for that culture. But it's a true statement, no less, right? So Paul makes this statement and says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, not through any work that we have done, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So Paul is painting this picture for us and for the people of Ephesus that God chose to bring us into his family and to give us his inheritance, the same inheritance of his very own son, who has received everything, both men and women alike. We are sons. You see, Christianity, we believe that Jesus is the son of God. Amen? And and that it's not not that he's not, he's not only the Son, but he's the direct imprint of who God the Father is. That everything that exists in creation, is, it exists for, by, and through Jesus Christ. And so Adam and Eve, as I mentioned earlier, they had everything. They had a complete inheritance. They walked in perfection with the Father, yet they chose to rebel and sin and in disobedience to their Father. They couldn't hold everything together. They couldn't manage the estate that had been given to them. Because they didn't see themselves as sons. But rather they saw themselves as slaves. You could say they saw themselves as servants in the negative connotation. But we see all throughout the gospel that Jesus holds it all together so that we might receive his inheritance, which is eternal life with the Father as sons, so that we might receive relationship with him. He holds it all together. He makes us holy. He makes us blameless. He invites us into the kingdom, not by our work, but simply by his work and his death, he allows us to come in as sons. Not by anything that we did. I just woke up one day, right? Like, isn't that crazy to think about? That the creator of the universe saw us from so long ago and looked out and he said, they're mine. They are going to be mine. I'm going to make a way for them. Not by anything that we do. So Adam and Eve's inheritance, death, Jesus' inheritance, life. That doesn't make sense. Let me illustrate to you like this. I went to Kenya last year um, with the organization that we gave money to and planted mango trees with. And I get there, man, I'm just all geeked out. I've I've never been anywhere like that. I feel like I'm going to die the whole time. And we go through two villages white people aren't even supposed to be in. You know, it's like, it was awesome. You know, super scary, but awesome. And so, um, so we're in Kenya and we're hanging out. I'm asking all these questions. When I get nervous, I just ask a lot of questions. I don't sweat a lot, fortunately. I just talk a lot. And so, um, and so we get there. I'm like, hey, who's that? Who's that? Who's this person? Who's this person? And I'm talking with Joshua, who's leading it. And Joshua says, oh, man, that's, that's my brother. That's my sister. That's my aunt. That's this. That's a worker. That's a servant. That's so-and-so. That's, this is my other aunt. You know, here's my other sister. And what's crazy is I'm looking at all these people literally managing the estate. Um, and they have to manage that estate because it's their livelihood, right? Their, their livestock, their crops, and all this. And you see all these people working. And so he's introducing me to all these different people. And in that, I couldn't tell a difference between who was a servant and who was in the family. You could say, I couldn't tell a difference between who was a servant and who was a son. 
It was really hard to distinguish the difference between them because they looked the same. Their work ethic to me looked the same. But what I learned is that the motivations of their heart were radically different. And in that, what I learned is that a servant works to maintain their status in the family, right? Because without that family, they have nothing. They work out of fear of losing their place and losing their position within the family. A servant works in the dark, and a servant stays in the shadows. Even there, on that estate I was at, the servants talk among themselves, and they wouldn't dare come to the head of the estate and ask questions because they don't want to bring any additional attention to themselves. There's a level of fear that drives the motivation of their heart to keep them working there. But the sons, the family, the sons, they work in the spotlight. They don't work in the family. Family members, while we were there, would just run up. Hey, who's this? And they would call us like mazungas, which means, holy crap, you know, because I'm white. And they never seen white people before. And so they would come up and say, mazunga, mazunga. And you could tell, right, they were part of the family, that they had received an inheritance, that they were a part of the estate, that they didn't work in the shadows, but rather they just served in the spotlight. There was no fear of coming up to the head of the estate there. There was no fear of disappointing him, no fear of a rebuke. There was no fear at all. They were simply working out of the gratitude of their heart to maintain the inheritance that had already been given over to them. I hope that that makes sense to you. The motivations between the servants and the sons were far, far different. Well, for us, right, Paul says that we are sons. And so then there's no need for us to hide in the shadows or to simply talk among ourselves or work, work, work diligently to try to keep our position and our status in the family of God because he's already blessed us with an inheritance. We need only to move out in delight of that inheritance and serve him with an open mind and with a heart that is full of gratitude. That means that we as sons have been given full confidence in who our father is because we have received everything that is the father's, a full inheritance, earthly, I'm sorry, heavenly blessings given to us in Christ Jesus. That means that we have received in compassion regardless of who we think we are, regardless of our actions. We have received mercy. We've received love. We've received the ability to come into the throne room of grace, as Steve used to say when I was here, and just sit on our dad's lap and just make requests of the Father. No more inheritance of death. Rather, we have an inheritance of sonship, eternity, life with the Father. This is amazing, gang. Because Eastern religion says you can do it in secret. Much of Eastern religion says you can do it in secret. You can make it in the shadows. Man, if you just work really, really hard, If you just try really, really hard, you can do it yourself. And if you try really hard and you do the right things, you can please God. And whenever you please God, God will accept you right where you are. Other religions look at this, some religions. You know what they say? That's blasphemous. Who are they to say that they can receive something from God? Who are they to say they can be put in the same position in the kingdom of God as God? Not that we become gods, right? And they would say, what do they think they are? They must think they're gods. And we get to respond to them, no. But we are sons. And this is what it looks like to serve a good dad who invites us into eternity forever with him. Even in our culture, preaches against this, right? You can be the foreman. You can have the estate. You can be the head. Just work hard, serve hard, do the right things, measure up, tighten up those bootstraps, right? Put your shoulders back and get to work and you can earn. Is that not what our culture teaches? teaches the same things. To that, we get to respond, what? God is not a foreman, but he's a good father. And he invites us into his inheritance. 
even within the church and Christianity. We have overly religious folks that believe the same untruths. If I work really, really hard and I work really diligently and I pray the right prayers and read the right amount of scripture and I go to my Bible app on my phone every day and I attend church every day, and these are all good things, right? These are all good things. But if I do these things, then God will keep me in the fold. God will keep me in the inheritance, but I need to work for the inheritance. I need to work for my approval, which is absolutely an untruth. And so then it's our job as sons to reach out to these individuals, regardless of religion or even, even someone sitting next to you. It's our job as sons to reach out to the servants and remind them or maybe teach them for the first time that there's no need to work for this inheritance. But God has freely given it over to us. And so if I lost you at any point, if I could sum up this point in one tweetable quote, it would be this. The perfect son becomes a servant so the servants can become sons. Does that make sense? The perfect son becomes a servant so the servants can become sons. He invites us out of the shadow and into the spotlight. The last point I want to make in the text, and then I'll give you some application, is that we are free if this is true, and it is. Verse 7 we could just stop and read verse 7 and, and just pray and be done. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and all insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The purpose of Jesus is just that, is to unite all things, to break down the dividing walls of hostility, to bring equality in and through the church, into the culture, and even within the church. The purpose of Jesus, the mystery of Jesus that is unfolding all throughout the book of Ephesians is that he will present himself as the head of all things. He'll say, this is all mine, and the sons are welcome into it. And if that's true, then, then the mystery of the gospel is to reveal to us then that there is no more shame for the Christian. And there is no more guilt for the Christian. And there is no more isolation as a Christian as Adam and Eve experienced in the garden because we have a good father that has blanketed us, clothed us in his perfection, right? Think about it like this for me. When you adopt someone, many of you have adopted, many of you may be in the process of adopting. When you adopt someone, you can give them everything but one thing. What's that one thing? Your DNA, right? chromosome. You can't pass that on to them. If you have kids and you watch Zootopia, it's your Donna, you know what I'm saying? Just for you with kids. It took me like 19 times of watching that movie before I knew what he said. You can't give them your chromosomes, right? I mean, here's the deal. They can look like you. They can sound like you. They can dress like you. Have the same mannerisms as you. You can love that child as your own child. Embrace that child as your own child. Absolutely. But they never have your DNA. What Paul is getting at here in light of adoption, and really adoption, gang, is, is the climax of our relationship with Jesus. But what Paul is getting at is that through the work of Jesus on the cross, he promised to restore all things. And that we who are in Christ Jesus have been redeemed. There is forgiveness for our trespasses and our obedience. Grace upon grace has been lavished upon us as sons. All wisdom and insight through the Spirit has been given to us. We can now, by the power of God's Spirit, walk with great confidence as Christians. We can walk out peace and patience, patience and joy and love, right? And even whenever we don't, we're still in the family. 
The mystery of the gospel being revealed is that God, is through Christ, is going to unite all things under his headship, and we are under his headship. And so then the overarching picture of adoption, the reason I say it's the climax of who we are in Christ Jesus, is because God has also promised a day where Jesus will come to restore all things to completion. And he will present us in full glory as sons. And there's a day where our bodies will be resurrected with Jesus Christ. And we will literally, check this out, literally receive the very DNA that is Jesus Christ himself. We will be presented in full glory. Right? Complete consummation of the church. We will fully, finally, forever understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and who we are in him. You could say it like this. He will actually present us the way that he already sees us because we have faith in Jesus Christ. Like, isn't that awesome? And so the, the story becomes complete. The family is perfectly restored as we are restored in Christ Jesus, finally and forever. There is no other school of thought. There is no other religious view. There's no other worldview. Look at me. No other worldview that paints a picture of hope like that. That's, I spent way more years not being Christian than Christian. Nothing else brings that type of hope. It is crazy to think about. And that's why so many other religions look at that and say, that's blasphemous. And we just say, no, that's sonship. That's adoption. Let me tell you about my good dad. Then it becomes mission. Amen. So check it out. Let me just give you three points of application. We'll be done. Adoption invites three different things. One, intimacy. Not isolation. This is so true with our family. The, the last two months, as I said earlier, we have walked through a mess. Man, we, mother passed away two months ago. Sickness hit the family. Unexpected bills came. And then just two weeks ago, my father-in-law had a heart attack. Um, 98% blocked in his heart. They call it the widow maker. Right? They just happened to find it. We've been walking through a mess Adoption is the only, not the only thing, but it's the truth for me specifically that really brings a great deal of clarity and hope whenever the proverbial poo just hits the fan in your family. You know what I'm saying? And in that, it brings intimacy, not isolation. It brings a freedom for me to stand up in front of people I don't know and say, our life got wrecked this last two months. It was a mess. It was hard. It was disconcerting. There was moments of faithlessness. I don't have to know you to say that because if this is all true, then we're family. And there's a level of transparency that comes with family. We saw in Genesis 3 that Adam and Eve, they did not understand that transparency. And that's why they hide in shame and they isolate. And anytime we hide in shame and we isolate, we begin to further isolate ourselves from the family. Clearly they don't understand. So not only is God not good and God doesn't understand and God doesn't know what I need and God doesn't want what's best, but if that's true about God, then man, that's true about everyone around me. So why would I become vulnerable? Why would I share things with you? Why would I share some of the deep, intimate things of my soul with you? If God doesn't understand, who are you? Who are you to think or to say or to chime in on anything that I bring to the table? But in that, right, we have a deep level of intimacy that we have been invited into because adoption frees us from hiding and reminds us that we are sons, that we no longer have to stay in the shadows. We get to come into the spotlight. We get to sit on dad's lap. We get to make requests, and we get to confess among our brothers and sisters where we are. And we regularly will fail at that, absolutely. 
We will regularly experience the effects of sin because of Genesis 3 in the fall. We will regularly and often maybe experience loneliness and death and anxiety and frustration. But at the same time, we have a great deal of confidence as Christians because we know that it's through the power of Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection that we also receive grace in those times. And we receive mercy in that time. And just as God covered Adam and Eve as a good and perfect and right father, so also God is regularly covering us through the power of the Holy Spirit and among the community in which we have been invited into. Are we perfect? Heavens no. We all messed up, all a little jacked up? Amen. And adoption gives us the ability to come intimately before one another and say, if I was perfect, I would have went to the cross and not Jesus. He went to the cross so I can freely share with you just right where I'm at. Next it says, adoption invites rest and not religion. So just as it would have been hard to tell the difference between a slave and a son in Paul's time, so also it was difficult for me to tell the difference between a slave and a son in Kenya. In this room, it's really difficult to tell the difference between a slave and a son. Because many of you can serve the same way and walk out Christianity in a way that looks familiar. You can sign up for the same teams. You can read the same books. You can go to the same community groups. You can attend the same church, right? Some of you can do it with the motivations of gratitude to say, I've invited, been invited into inheritance by the Father. I'm so pleased to be here. But there's also some of you that will do it for a motivation that says, I would just rather live in the shadows as a slave. I'm just doing work. I'm just punching my card time and time again. And I don't know who you are, but the Spirit does and reveal, right? The overly religious live in this category. I'm using religion in a negative connotation. But they're people who will serve and they will read and they will pray and they will do so out of fearful ambition for what God might bestow upon them. So there's so many people within the church that cling to religious actions, and they think that those actions actually keep them into the family. They think that because they do these things, that they are a part of the family. And what happens is they end up finding their identity in all of their work, instead of finding their identity in Jesus' work. And so then the overly religious begin to, or continue then, to live in isolation and further retreat from community. And, and it's because they spend more of their time spending, looking in the shadows, looking down their nose at people that are living in the spotlight, and they're saying, well, you're not like me. You don't do what I do. You don't read what I read. You don't pray what I You don't serve like I serve. Who do you think you are? You don't serve like me, right? You know some of these people. Am I right? And not that transparent yet, okay? We, We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. But the reality is they just further isolate themselves. And so we as sons need to love them and be gracious to them and continue inviting them back into the family just as Jesus continues to invite us back into the family lest they live in dread instead of intimacy forever. And so the gospel then invites us to rest invites us to be reminded that we did not work to obtain an inheritance. Rather, an identity was given to us, and actions flow out of that, not the other way around. The religious often believe that if they act a certain way, then they will be identified a certain way. And Jesus says, no, I've put my stamp on you. You are family. You are sons. Now you have the freedom to simply move forward in that. You may rest in the finished work of Christ instead of trying to do more than he's asking you to do. The last is freedom, not a face. I just want to close this out with a story that I thought about this morning. Um, <clears throat> I think it'll get the point across just fine. I have two kids. Uh, man, I love being a dad. 
Like, I love my babies. They're nuts, and I love them. And Emma is four years old. Josiah is two. Emma, Emma Joe, and Josiah Robert. When you're mad, that's hard to say. And um, Emma is every bit of her mom, man. She is strong. She is independent. Uh, she doesn't need anything but like a baby doll and a tea set. And she is solid. That's all that she needs. Josiah, unfortunately, uh, is just like me. He, he's emotional. Uh, he needs a lot of physical touch. He needs a lot of verbal affirmation. He needs to be, like, hugged. Um, Josiah, I get him in trouble. I can just say, Josiah. His face just melts, man. It just breaks my heart. And I'm like, I don't ever, I'm sorry. Like, do whatever you want. Like, I'll help you. I'll drive the car, you know, the getaway car. We'll just do whatever you need. Whatever you want. It just melts my heart, man. Uh, Emma, though, like I spank Emma. She just like starts sharpening a knife. She's like, I don't need you. I don't need you at all. Who do you think you are? But uh, we have a rule in our house. Uh, regardless of where you fall, right? We have a rule in our house. If you get out of bed once, you get a warning. If you get out of bed a second time, you get a spank. That's the way we roll. Um, Josiah, who's two, I just say, Josiah, stay in bed. He's just like, you know, he's, he's in bed forever, 14 hours. Won't even get out in the morning. Listen, won't even get out of bed in the morning. He'll just be like, Dada, Dada, because he's popped him once, and he's scared of me now, apparently. Um, Emma, though, she could care less. She doesn't care at all. Um, but I remember the first time Emma lied to me, like blatantly lied to me, I remember. And in that, she, uh, we're down, I put her to bed, she got up, gave her a warning, um, and then I'm downstairs with my wife watching a movie, and all I hear is like, like we have hardwood floors, so it's like, do 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 right, back to the bedroom. So I go, I'm like, oh man, pause the movie. I go upstairs, and, uh, and I sit down on her bed, sweet thing, and she's like this, clearly not asleep. I'm like, Emma, are you asleep, baby? I'm like, like Emma, are you, are, you, are you really asleep? She's like, I'm like, babe, I know you're not asleep. I just heard you running down the hallway, like, you know what we got to do. And she was like, I was like, why did you lie to me? And she said, well, because, Daddy, I just didn't want to get a spank. And for some reason, her slight moment of love <laughs> It broke my heart. And I was like, oh, man, okay. And I said, well, you lied to me. And not only did you lie to me, but you got out of bed. And, I, and in that moment, man, it was like the Spirit of God like, came in to me, and he said, you know what? You lied too. I'm like, dang it. How do I, I get out of this moment, you know? But I listened, and I said, you know what, Em? Daddy lies to you too. Except for I call it parenting, you know? So, call it manipulation. It's just lying. And we all lie. I'm on the way. You, know, you start tying her shoes, you know. And so, and she said, you do? I said, yeah, baby, I, I lie to you all the time. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and uh, I was just trying to confess, you know. I said, but here's the deal. I, I'm not going to spank you. This is real. I said, I'm not going to spank you um, because Jesus took both your spank and daddy's spank whenever he went to the cross so that we could stand truthful before him, and so that he could know us, and so that we could know him. He took our spanks. And I said, Jane, you have a far better daddy than you'll ever know. Like, I pray that you get to know this daddy. And she said, she's like, okay. And I don't know what she knows it for, but I know that was true, right? Um, I said, yeah, Jesus took our spanks so that we would never have to lie to him, 
Jesus took our spank so that he would always know who we are. He knows everything we're ever going to do. So he took our spanks. Then I went to spank her the next day, and she's like, Daddy, took, Jesus took my spanks, you know? Like, <laughs> so we're still working through it, right? But <laughs> grace upon grace. Um, but in that, I just want to say this and, and wrap up this point, and you'll, you'll get what I'm saying, right? Because we're adopted as sons to receive a, cool, a, a complete inheritance, there's no need to put on a face. There's no need to put on a facade. Because in Christ Jesus, what we have as Christians that no one else has is the ability to, to come completely exposed before our Father and know that he just knows. And we have the ability to know him, knowing that he completely knows who we are. And he looked out across time and across space, seeing our dysfunction, seeing our disobedience, and he knew that he would cover us in the blood of his Son. He knew that the Son would become a servant so the servants could become sons. You see that in the text? Let me pray for you and then invite everybody else up. Father, we thank you so much that you're so good. You're so loving and so gracious with us. Thank you for taking our spanks. Um, We say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but that's real. So we thank you for inviting us into a family, for loving us, being gracious with us, being merciful towards us, showing us compassion. And we thank you for discipline. And Hebrew says that father who doesn't discipline looks at his children as illegitimate. So God, I thank you for the hardship. Um, I know what we walked through the last eight weeks, and in a room of 100 plus people, God, there are equal testimonies of hardship over the last few months, over the last few years. So God, I pray that you help us all to know that no matter how hard and how difficult it gets right now, we are family, we are sons, we have an inheritance, and we have hope. And that's something that the world craves, God, and you've given it to us. So help us to share that hope with the world. We pray all this in the perfect and the awesome, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.